Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Isaiah chapters 41 and 42. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they were, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. I wish I had a cool accent like her. I'll tell you what. If you don't know Peter and Nora Wilkes, you need to know them. They are great saints who have faithfully followed the Lord and ministered and and just a joy. Uh, So get to know them. It's been a tragic week, and we have been grieving over the mass shooting in Las Vegas. The cover story of our Idaho statesman said it's pure evil. And it is what took place in the massacre of these lives, these innocent lives. And we want answers and we want someone to pay for what's been done. We want justice. But at the core of it all, we we want it to be made right. There is an ache in our souls to make it right. And the conversation in the news has been making these statements that this isn't the way life is meant to be. 
it has really awoken us to to trying to take a deeper look at what's going on in our in our culture and in the brokenness of life. And again, even the secular world is going, it's not meant to be this way. We again want to have it be made right. And the question becomes, how can we do so? How can we make all this brokenness right again? Well, the Lord through Isaiah is going to speak to us this morning through a song, and He wants us to hear this beautiful song that has healing words, that is a soothing melody that's playing over us. It's the servant song. And the words say, justice comes. And it comes in the love and grace of Jesus. And it will be made right. That's the promise in the song. It will be made right through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray for that this morning. Father, I just thank you for the fact that, that you sing this song over us. That you make things right, Father, through your servant. I pray, Father, that you will pour out your Holy Spirit to these dear families who've lost loved ones this last week in Las Vegas. Be their comfort, be their strength, be their answer when they're looking for questions. How can this be? Where do I find life? What's it all about? And so we pray that you will minister that to them and that your peace will be ever-present. May they turn to you and know you as a lover of their souls. And Father, this morning, minister to us, show us what it means to bring justice. Show us what it means to, to follow your example. And we thank you, Lord, that you, you comfort us. We are broken reeds. We are smoldering wicks. And we receive your comfort this morning. In your precious name, amen. Well, the Israelites are in Babylon, and they're looking for answers. Where's the justice? They're saying the same things. Life shouldn't be this way. We're the people of God. Why are we in captivity? We need relief. We need comfort. We desire salvation. The Babylonians look to all kinds of other gods to lead their lives, And as the Israelites are in captivity there, they are also drawn to looking to idols to find life, to find some form of salvation, some form of comfort in the middle of the ache. And so what God does in the book of Isaiah, in this chapter 41 that we're looking at, He basically takes them to court. He takes the idols to court. And He is charging them, truly, with false advertising. They seem to make all these claims that they can bring life and comfort and peace and and prosperity. And he says it's false. Listen, you idols. Go ahead, bring it out. Tell us about the past or tell us about the future. Give us the outcome to something. Do good. Do harm. I don't care. Do something. And so he, he is basically taking these idols to court and he's reminding them, here's the reality The reason you can't do anything is because you are nothing. And your work is less than nothing. 
And God is taking them to court because it's serious, our worship of idols. It does incredible spiritual damage to us when we go after really anything to provide us with contentment and fulfillment in life other than God himself. And he's a jealous God. There shall be no other gods before him. He's a God who has provided the way of life, has given us salvation. And idols change our hearts and they move us in the wrong direction. Ezekiel 14 says that idols aren't just these figurines. They're not just these these things that are made out of wood. They're, They're things that we take to the core of our heart. That's why God deals with them. And he deals with them harshly and he deals with them in a way that's mocking them because they are nothing. It's not just an Old Testament issue. It's modern and it's a Christian issue. And we have many idols today in our lives and in our community. I was just reading this past week, Hugh Hefner died. And, and it was amazing, the articles on him. It basically made him into this great guy who led the way for the sexual revolution and, and all the things that he did to free up women's rights. They were able to express themselves and have a voice. And they were making him into this icon, into this idol. And, and, and it drew on how many young men wanted to be Hugh Hefner and have this lifestyle of his. And the reality is, Our idols and what we worship, we become like. Hugh Hefner is one of our modern day idols. And people are drawn after that. Fantasy life. You know, one of the other idols I was thinking of in in light of the shooting that's going on uh, that happened in Las Vegas, and just, just kind of in general in society, but something that has become an idol because there is... There is a lot of evil. There's a lot of brokenness in the world. But one of the things that I'm seeing, it, not, only, not only in myself, but in the community at large, is I feel like we, we are, are, are holding up this idol of safety in our lives. And, and I really want to be careful with this. It's not that we're not to be people who are wise and discerning. There is a lot of evil around us. There is. There's a lot of people who want to take our lives. There's a lot of people who want to do damage and destruction to us. That is true. But I feel like we've moved so much more to safety. Let's, let's hold up this idol of making sure that we are safe in our daily lives. And one of the things that I've seen is I feel like it, it paralyzes us as followers of Jesus Christ. That we too have taken this idol of safety. And... As I look around our community, and we have, we have, I mean, just in our immediate, we have all of these homeless people in our community. We have all of these refugees coming into our community. We have people who are hurting and in need of help. And I feel a lot of times that we just won't enter in with them because we have our idol of safety here. And, and what I think is happening, and I find this of myself, and I want us to ask this question of ourselves. Do I even, do I even ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, do you want me to enter in with this homeless person today? It's a little scary, but do you want me to enter in with them and, and love them, love the stranger? Father, we have these refugees coming in from all over the place. Do you want me to come along the side? They're fleeing for their lives. 
Do we even stop to ask the Holy Spirit, do you want me to be part of this in bringing forth your justice and your life and your truth into these people's lives? And I think security has become an idol. We're not sending our children overseas to go do ministry because they might get hurt. I just don't remember anywhere in the scriptures where it says that Christianity is going to be safe. Actually, it's far from safe. And I think for all of us, and I really include myself in this, that we take this idol of safety. Again, it doesn't mean we're foolish. It doesn't mean we're not discerning about what we're entering into. But that we're really seeking after God and saying, God, am I just trying to be too safe? I don't want anything. I don't want that rubbing off on me. I, you know, that maybe they could do some damage to my house. And taking that idol and saying, God, what do you have for me here? Because the reality is, no matter how much we're setting up these idols of safety around it, bullets are still coming. Are we putting our life, are we putting our life trusting the Lord? He has our life. Again, with wisdom and discernment. But truly, He has our life. Modern day idols that I've just been thinking about and that God wants to deal with us. There's so many more, we know it. And the reason He wants us to, to break down and recognize that they're nothing and, and realize that they don't provide anything is because as followers of Jesus Christ, God is our life, not the idols. Christ is our life. Colossians 3.3 says this. If you've been raised with Christ, and you have children of God, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on the things that are above. This idol's in my way here. And set your mind on the things that are above, that are not on this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And then verse 4 of Colossians 3. When Christ, who is your life, is that true of you? When Christ, who is your life, when He appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And so what God is doing through Isaiah as He's taking these idols to court, as He's saying, I want you to just be rational. Do you really want to be Hugh Hefner? I mean, really? Is that what you're going after? Is that where you're finding life and happiness and joy? And so God mocks them. Do something. Do anything. Give us a future. And, and the idols are breaking out their fortune cookies, cracking them open, and it says, you will have happiness soon. It's this empty statement. And it's false. You ever eat those fortune cookies? That's not a happy thing. They taste like cardboard a lot of the time. <laughs> We're looking for life and all of these other things, trying to find something, contentment, peace, rest. And God says in a mocking way, in a very strong way, they are nothing. You see, it's I'm the one who has stirred up the one from the north, from the east, He's speaking of Cyrus the Persian. We'll see more of that in chapter 45. Cyrus the Persian, he, he basically came into Babylon and he wiped them out and then he sent the people back. The Israelites back to their homeland. God's the one who brought him forth. God's the one who spoke into their lives saying, this is going to happen. 
I'm the one you can trust for what's going to take place in life. I'm the one who will deliver you. But you keep cracking open fortune cookies. You're trying to find deliverance. You're trying to find hope somewhere. Salvation in these idols. And you say, no, justice will not come from them because they are nothing. Let us stop looking to counterfeit gods. By the way, I want to commend to you a really good book by Tim Keller, and it's called Counterfeit Gods. It's basically done with all of our modern-day idols. I know we think we don't have many, but oh, we have a lot. Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. Really recommend it to you. We're all looking for an answer, and we're all looking for justice. And what he says is, justice will come in my servant, in my son Jesus, really. Look at verse 42, 1. Behold, my servant, who I uphold, God is saying, he's my chosen one. He's the one who my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And he will, look at the promise, he will bring forth justice to the nations. Behold, my servant. I want you to take your eyes off the idols, and now I want you to behold my servant. I told you before that you're looking to all these other things. Do you know in Mesopotamia alone, they have found over 3,000 deities with names on them. 3,000 gods with names. Do you understand what that means? That means people are looking for life. They're looking for rescue. They're looking for some sort of peace. They're looking for salvation and deliverance. And they're looking in these idols. Over 3,000. Behold the idol. And what he said earlier was, listen, you beheld these, they were nothing. You beheld these, they were a delusion. Now I want you to behold my son, my servant. Because that's the answer that you're looking for. You can have 3,000, you can have 10,000 idols. None of them are going to bring forth life. None of them are going to bring forth the contentment and the joy and the hope you're looking for. None. Because they are nothing. So behold my servant. It's the first of Isaiah's four servant songs that we'll see in this book. And God says, I will uphold my servant. I'm going to grasp onto him. I will strengthen him. I will support him. He is my delight. It reminds me of when Jesus was baptized. Remember what happened? And the clouds break open and God's voice comes. And what does he say? This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. All the way back to Isaiah we see it. I delight in my son, my servant. And then what happens from that place after he's baptized? What does he do? Right away he goes into the desert to be tempted. And he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights And at the end of all that, remember what happens? The angels come and minister to him. I will uphold my son, my servant. I'm going to bring him all the way to the purpose of which he came, which is to die on the cross for our sin. This is what he's for. This is why my love needs to be poured out so that we can have life and relationship together. And so I uphold my servant. He will bring forth justice. It's a promise of God. And justice isn't quite like we think it is 
used in normal terms. The way that the word is used in this chapter, three times, by the way, it's very important. It's, it's a key word in this song. Justice has the real emphasis of this. I will make it right. I will make it right. I will bring forth my servant and all that is broken in our souls and in life, I will make it right. And we know on this side of the Old Testament, we have all that God did in bringing forth his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sin. And the the beautiful thing is he didn't stay there. He rose again. And to any who should believe upon him should have life everlasting. He made it right on the cross. And he continues to make it right in this life, in our brokenness. And it will ultimately be made right in eternal life with God, in perfection. I will bring forth my servant. It's my promise to you. He will deliver you. He will be your salvation. He will make it right, not just for you, Israelites, but to all the nations. He will make it right for all the peoples. And how does he do it? How's he going to do all that he's saying that he's going to do? He comes in as a gentle, tender shepherd, one who will pay the price for their sin. He's making a contrast between him, the servant, and Cyrus, the conqueror. Cyrus is going to come in and he's going to crush people. He's going to come with force. He's going to boast about his greatness. He's going to snap the bruised reed, snuffs out the wick, tramples on the rulers. But Jesus comes in and he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. When Matthew quotes this in Matthew 12, he quotes it as Jesus was healing people, literally touching them and healing their bodies And for many, their souls, their lives, they were being saved. And this is what it says in Matthew 12, quoting this Isaiah passage. Jesus was aware of all who were coming around, and so he withdrew from that place. But many followed him, as they were prone to do. And he healed all of them. And he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Justice, justice is coming. He's making things right. But he's not going to cry aloud. He's not going to bring forth justice like the world brings it forth. Making sure that that all know, and and this all-powerful, comes forth a humble servant, a suffering servant, one who ministers right in the middle of our brokenness. He uses that word justice again three times, and it's the same word used in Exodus 26 in the, in the building of the temple. It's the blueprint of the temple, the tabernacle. And as he's giving it, what I think the Lord is saying is, listen, God is bringing forth this justice, this, this plan of how to have real life. He's, he's bringing forth the way he's going to order it and have it, have it be in order, not chaos. And the way he's going to bring the plan together 
is through this justice of Christ, the servant, the suffering servant on the cross. And so I have a plan of all that I'm doing through my servant. And it's not like what the world would think about how the reigning king is going to come in and conquer like Cyrus. We're all looking for true happiness and joy and hope. And the Lord says, I have a plan for that. And it's in my son. I know the plans, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will, promise of God, I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me as you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. You know what's cool? That Jeremiah 29 passage, that's about those who are in captivity in Babylon. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, you captives in Babylon. I'm going to bring you out of that, and I'm going to bring you out of it, and you're going to find life in my son, Jesus, my servant. God's justice is coming. He will bring it. He will bring it faithfully. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. And he speaks here in verse 3, A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. There, there was many... He uses these two plants, the flax and the, and the reed. There was many, many reeds uh, in Israel, and it was common and wonderful... A lot of them would grow to 12 feet tall, and they were, when they were cut, uh, when they were fresh, they were very bendable but strong, and you could use them for, for all kinds of things, for whips and, and uh, for all kinds of making of, of uh, baskets and all kinds of stuff that was really strong and durable. When they hardened, you could uh, use them for walking sticks, and um, again, had an incredible purpose all throughout Israel. And then the flax... That was made into the wick of, for the candle and was intended to be used to, to light the candles and give light. And the reality is, is that both have great purpose but, and they have intended function, but what's happening here is that they're not being used for their intended purposes. The reed, incredible strength, was bruised. The wick being snuffed out. And bruised has the meaning of oppressed, crushed, shattered. And, and smoldered, uh, being put out, means the idea that your light is dim. You've lost the light. It's not giving out. It's like, it's like when your batteries in your flashlight are starting to go weak, and you're like, I really can't see much with this flashlight anymore. He says, this is what's going on with the people in Israel. A bruised reed and a crushed, smoldering wick. I will not quench. I will not put out. I will not destroy them like Cyrus will. And so the truth is, he's speaking to his people and he's speaking to us. We are, we are each and every one of us, bruised reeds. And we're smoldering wicks in our brokenness. And we need to be restored and renewed. And God comes in with his gentleness. You know, there was a man 
in Guangzhou, China, who was really hurting. He was depressed. He was in financial ruin. And so he went out onto this bridge in Guangzhou, and, and he was ready to take his life. He was ready to jump off the bridge. And he was, he was crushed just in life. And so what happened is the police saw him on there, and they closed off all the entrances on the bridge, and traffic was stopped for five, six hours. And people obviously were getting frustrated, not knowing exactly what was going on. But one man came, a 66-year-old man, and he came and he broke through kind of the crowd and the police barrier, and he, and he got to the man on the bridge. And he stuck his hand out. Here's a man who was hurting and in despair and, and just going, I don't know if I can live life. And the 66-year-old man stuck out his hand and grabbed his hand, and he pushed him off the bridge. And he pushed him off the bridge, literally. And praise God, there was the police had set a, a cushion down at the bottom, an air, air thing, and he came, he landed on that. He was hurt severely, but he didn't die. So they arrested the 66-year-old man. They're like, why in the world would you push the man off the bridge? And he said, well, guys like that are just selfish. They're stopping all that's going on in society for their own purposes. They just want to live to make a political statement. And I was tired of waiting, and so was everybody else. So I pushed him off the bridge, a man who was in utter despair. What God says about his servant, to those of us who are crushed and hurting and in despair, is he is not going to push you off that bridge. He's going to grab your hand like the father grabs a hold of the son. I will uphold him. I will grasp him. And like the tender shepherd, and he is going to draw you near. And he desires to restore you and renew you. We are all bruised reeds and crushed wicks. All of us. And God is not like Cyrus, who's just like to heck with you. You're a waste of time. You have no purpose anymore for me. And he says, come back and be restored. Let me renew you and help you. Jesus has compassion upon the bruised reed. There was a guy named Matthew, the tax collector, and Zacchaeus. He had compassion on the bruised reed, the man with a withered hand on Sabbath day. He had compassion on the one man who was hanging on the cross beside him at Calvary. And the truth is, he has compassion on you and me. The Lord had compassion on smoldering flax, the wick. There was this guy named Peter, you might remember, who denied Jesus. Or this one guy, Jonah, who said, I want nothing to do with Nineveh. And God restored him and renewed him, and he ends up, as he preaches forth, the city comes to know God and repents. Peter ends up leading the church. You see, God's not done with us broken reeds and smoldering wicks. We, we may be in this place because of our own sin. We may be. We also may be in this place just because life is hard. But what the Lord is saying about his servant is that he will bring forth justice. He's going to make it right. 
and He's going to restore and He's going to renew and He's going to bring life. He's going to bring a new song and He will minister to us. The way He brings forth justice is through this gentle, tender shepherd. How does He do it? How does He do it? I want you to mark verse 4 in your Bibles. This is really key. And it's a word play that, that is being done here. So our Lord will not bruise the reed. He's not going to crush it. He's not going to break it. He's not going to snuff us out. That's good news for us sinners, isn't it? Now verse 4. He, the servant, Jesus, he will not falter. That word there is the same word used of smoldering wick. He will not become a smoldering wick. Or be discouraged. That word there is the same as he will not be a bruised reed. And here's what I want you to see. Here's what I think the beauty is of what Isaiah is doing here. How in the world is he going to deliver us? How is he going to restore us? How is he going to help us be to a place where we're not bruised reeds and, and, and smoldering wicks? How? He becomes the bruised reed. He becomes a smoldering wick. And the Lord is going to take him all the way through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead him to his completion, which is all the way to the cross. He won't be discouraged on the way. He won't be held back. He will go all the way to do what he intended to do, which is I must take on this sin and this brokenness. I must become the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. And when he died on the cross, he became sin for us. That payment on the cross by the suffering servant shall set us as a people free. And so God speaks about the promise of his servant bringing forth justice. And as he speaks to his son in verse 5 through 9, he's saying, listen, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to take you by the hand and I will keep you. You are going to be a covenant for the people, a light to the nations. And you will open the eyes that are blind and you will bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and the prison for those who still sit in darkness. This is what you are going to do. I am going to use you to bring about new life. You're going to restore the broken wicks and the smoldering flax. And those who are captives and are bound up in prison by their sin and just by the brokenness of life, I'm going to set free. Have you ever seen the captives, Michelangelo's work? Four pieces. They're in Italy. They were made for Pope Julius. And Michelangelo was working on these pieces for Pope Julius, but he, was, he wasn't happy with what they were looking like. And so there's this there's series of, of sculptures in marble, and it's, it's a hand reaching out, or you'll see a face coming out of the marble. And you have a leg and you have a torso coming out. And, and as you look at them, it just feels like agony. Like they're wanting to break free from the marble and be what they were intended to be. Theodore Rodet wrote this about the captives. When I looked at those partial figures, they stirred up in me a deep longing to be completed. An ache to be set free from that which distorts and disguises and imprisons and inhibits my humanness, my wholeness. 
But as with those statues, I cannot liberate myself. For that, I need the hand of another. What verse 8 and 9 says is that hand of another is our servant. It is Jesus. There's nobody else. There's no other idol. There's no one who can deliver you. There's no one else who should receive glory but the Father and His Son, the servant. Because He's the only one who can do anything. He brings the newness of life. He restores the broken reed and the smoldering wick that we are. Behold, the former things have come to pass. New things I now declare. And I tell them of you. You see, I told you about Cyrus and his deliverance. And now I'm telling you of a new thing, a new way of relationship. There's a new covenant that comes through my son, Jesus. And he will establish justice. How does he do that here and now? He does that through us. We, broken reeds, smoldering wicks, who have received newness of life in Christ Jesus, we now minister and comfort and bring justice, which means making it right in this broken world to others, to the other smoldering wicks and broken reeds, bruised reeds. And we really need to be asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, where do you want me to enter in? We need to get rid of that idol of safety. I love how this church body is ministering justice in this world. I love how you agonize in prayer over people. I love how you you come alongside and go to the rescue mission and minister to the homeless. I love how you, you come into the garden and you walk alongside families. And many of you come alongside in the Armstrong's ministry in Global Partners and And you come and you you take in refugee families to be part of your home and your life and you care about them. We're ministering justice. Many of them are running from brokenness and death and you are ministering justice and it's good. And keep doing it. I love how we're sending people all over the place overseas and going to Japan and, and sharing the gospel in Armenia like Brian shared People are hearing about God and His goodness and how He heals the broken reed and the smoldering wick. And He does that through us. And so as newness of life comes, as verse 10 says, let's sing a new song because there's new life to be had. And all the glory doesn't go to those stupid idols that are nothing. It goes to God who loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your amazing love for us. I thank you that you speak forth justice and you bring it. Father, you don't just talk about it. You bring justice. You make it right. And Father, thank you for healing us. And would you use our lives to bring forth justice and healing to others as you empower us by the Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your goodness. May we sing a new song unto you. In your precious name, amen.